the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. See, I think it's safe to say that Paul had come to a place where it was no longer about him. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with Pastor Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. And so all through the scripture, I've shared with Jehovah's Witnesses so many times to make your head spin. But it's like, and every time I'll show them, I'll show them 20, 30 verses proving that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is the exact representation, that he is the very one, that he is the one that created all things. All things are created by him and for him, Colossians 1, everything. I've walked them through scriptures all the time. And it's just like, there's like, huh, no, 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 it's Michael, it's Michael, it's Michael, 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 Michael. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, well, you're not going to heaven. You're not saved. Because you've asked an angel to come in your life. That's not who died for you. That's like, 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 like taking somebody here, his name is Jesus, and throwing him up on a cross and killing the guy. That'd be horrific. But guess what? He can't die for himself, nor can he die for you. Only Jesus could die. The God man who came to the earth to die for your sins and my sins. So anyway, Paul's going here and he's saying, look, any God that's made with hands is no God at all. There's only one God. Paul wanted to go into the midst of this ride, as you remember, but the disciples wouldn't let him. For the people were stirred into a frenzy and they probably would have killed him anyway. So Paul seemed to be fearless, though. He was like fearless, like, let me go in there. But it wasn't because he was some superhuman. Paul was just like you and me. But what really set Paul apart was this. He had given himself fully into the hands of the Lord God who holds tomorrow. So he knew, look, if I throw myself into everything he wants me to do, I know it's all going to work out. Why? Because he holds tomorrow. And after all the ruckus was over, he sent for the disciples. And he exhorted them, meaning he encouraged them. He consoled them. And he didn't want them to lose focus of the goal. That's what my calling is as a pastor. It's like, don't lose focus of the goal. Don't lose focus of what we're really here on this planet for. Because really, when you think about it, why are we still here? God has promised to come and take us away. God has promised to take us to heaven. The rapture of the church is going to happen one day. And we're all going to be delivered. Why hasn't he done it already? Get us out of this God-forsaken place. Anybody not want to go to heaven today? I mean, it's like, you know, I want to go. But there's a reason why he's left us here. Why? Why? Because we are called. We are called to stand in the gap. We are called to be here. We are called to lead people to hope. So focus on our true purpose. Because with riots and people being all stirred up into a frenzied mess, it can be a little scary, just like it's a little scary in our culture, in our society today. But let's not forget, no matter how crazy life might get for us here in the now, 
The Bible tells us not to fear. Proverbs 3.25 says, do not be afraid. That's in a command sense. He says, you, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. He says, for the Lord will be your confidence and he will keep your foot from being caught. He says, don't be fearful. Stop that. He says, God has not given us the, 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 the spirit of fear or timidity, but of a sound mind. We don't have to fear what's going on. Look, the worst thing that can happen is someone can come in and blow us up. Okay, well, I'm going to heaven. It's like we don't have to fear anything because this life is temporal, right? The next life is eternal. I'm glad that six of you like that. Okay, anyway. And let's not forget what Jesus said. Jesus told us times would be like this. This is why I'm so anti-prosperity doctrine, because it's not biblical. Not that God doesn't want to bless us. Of course, that part's biblical. But the way that the prosperity teachers bring it across, like everyone's supposed to have health and wealth, and we're all supposed to be wealthy and have mansions and yachts and Rolls Royces and Bentleys, and, and we're all supposed to be all healthy. No, that's not what happens, because God tells us that difficult times will come. That's why Jesus says, know this. He says in John 16, 33, he says, I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be difficult times. Hardship's going to come. But he says, well, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Wow. Well, after calming the minds and encouraging the spirits of the believers in Ephesus, Paul moves on to Macedonia. Paul moved around in verse 2 to many districts. He's going to all these different places that he started churches, giving them much exhortation, much encouragement. He's giving them much peace. Then he moved to Greece. He's backtracking his second missionary journey here. Now, remember, Paul was on Mars Hill. Remember, he went to the Areopagus. That was a court of intellectual thinkers, preaching to the Epicurean Stoic philosophers. Remember, the Epicureans believed in uh, happiness could only happen and found while seeking pleasure. So they just uncorked the lust of their flesh and just pleasure. Give me more pleasure. It's like going to Vegas and just living there and just pleasure. And that's where they felt that happiness could be found. Then, of course, the Stoic philosophers, they viewed life as something that's filled with hardship and pain. And they figured the only way you're going to get through is just pull up your bootstraps. And you, know, you just got to get it through because you got to be tough. You got to figure it out yourself. But Paul preached the freedom of Christ. He preached to them the forgiveness of their sins. And many on Mars Hill came to know Jesus as their savior. Now he was there for three months. Then a plot formed against him to kill him. Now this was not from the Greeks, but tragically, it was from his own people, the Jews. Now when I say his own people, the Jews, it wasn't the Jews, like the nation of all the Jews. Come on, I mean, the majority of believers these days were Jews. It was the small sect of very powerful religious leaders that were Jewish, and they wanted Paul dead. Now why did they want him dead? Probably because of many reasons, but one of the main reasons was he was putting a big dent in their religious program. Like, if you remember back in Acts 18, where Paul reasoned the scriptures with those in the synagogue, 
Many came to know Christ as their Savior because he reasoned with them through the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus was truly the Messiah, Savior of the world. Namely, in Acts 18.8, Crispus, who was the synagogue leader in the city of Corinth, who many followed him when he came to Jesus. So he like cleaned out that whole synagogue. Why? Because these guys were all coming to know Jesus as their Savior, along with Sosthenes. Now, he was in Acts 18, verse 17. Now, at first, Sosthenes, this poor guy tried to come against Paul. He listened to the religious leaders. He was trying to, you know, shipwreck Paul and derail him. So he took him before the governor there. And, of course, you know, the governor's like, why are you bringing this guy in front of me? You know, there's, this guy's done anything wrong. And he had Sosthenes taken out to the street and beaten. So he was beaten. And somewhere after that, the Holy Spirit of God must have got a hold of him because he gave his life to Christ. And so that was another synagogue leader. So synagogue leaders are coming to know Christ as their savior. So the Jews were not, you know, these religious Jews, these, this small sect of people wanted Paul dead because they simply refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah according to the Torah, the Pentateuch, the law of God. They wouldn't listen to their own scriptures. So they, again, they wanted to kill Paul. Well, Paul went back through Macedonia and he met with other disciples of Jesus and he encouraged them also. Yes, Paul was bound with a mission. He knew his course. He was a willing vessel in the hands of the Lord and he went where God called him to go. He stayed focused no matter what was happening. He stayed obedient. I wonder if that could be said about us. In the smallest of areas, like giving someone hope to those in your sphere of life in the midst of all the chaos in the world today, amidst all the difficulties and struggles that are around us. Many people are in dire straits. Maybe they're having financial problems. I mean, forget the whole ISIS and world problems and terrorism. I mean, maybe you have friends that are just going through their marriages on the rocks, Maybe you know someone that, you know, they're financially, you know, bankrupt. I mean, you know, there's so many issues, people that are just bound down by their own sin and their own guilt and their own shame. And we have the message of life to give to them. Even as Paul was encouraging those around him, we are called to do the same. Get our eyes off of our problems and put them on to other people. You know, and take advantage of the opportunity, you know, like invite someone to church next Sunday. I mean, you know, it's come on. It's like reach out, bring someone in. Who knows? They might just make a commitment to Christ. Because why? We all need hope. Which brings up our second point. No time to snooze. No time to snooze. Let's read what happens here in verse 7. He goes on to say, And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began teaching to them, intending to leave the next day, and prolonged his message until midnight. So they're meeting on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, just like what we meet here today. And, but he prolonged his message till midnight. It's like me saying, hey, let's just all hang out. We'll get to the message at midnight. And then there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And there was a young man named Eutychus. Now he was sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept talking, he was overcome by sleep and he fell down from the third floor and he was picked up dead. But Paul went down and he fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled. 
for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and he had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak. And then he left and they took away the boy alive and they were greatly comforted. Wow. Okay, so for every single one of you that think, I speak too long, okay? I was nothing compared to Paul. <laughs> he started the message at midnight and he didn't get done with it until when? <laughs> until It's like, oh my goodness. He didn't get done with it until daybreak. And this poor kid named Eutychus, he's sitting in the window. He just couldn't hang with Paul's long-winded message. That thing must have gone on for like six hours. <laughs> it's like, and he goes out for the count. He was sawing logs. Verse 9 said that he went into a deep sleep. Have you ever been overtired? You know, like, man, if I'll go out and play like five or six full court games of basketball, my body's just all overtired. When I go to bed that night, I'll be like jerking and, you know, and then sometimes I'll feel like my bed just flips over and I'm like falling, ah, you know. Well, this is how Eutychus felt, except it was real. (laughs) He was falling down three stories and he hits the ground and he's dead. You know, that'll put a quench on every Sunday service, you know. Yeah, Pastor Steve was preaching so long that people were dying. You know, just dropping dead on him, you know. But Paul runs down the stairs and he falls on him with such urgency, with such confidence, praying that the Lord would heal this guy. And he did. He healed him. He rose him from the dead. It's amazing. I wonder if any of us have gotten a little sleepy in our faith. I wonder how much we've missed simply because we don't believe. Maybe we don't really trust the Lord to meet our needs. And therefore, our needs are not met. Maybe we're a little sleepy and we don't believe that God will really speak through us. So we never talk to anyone about Jesus. Because, well, well, you know, I, I don't know what to say. You know, you get that little nudge in your heart. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And you don't say anything because you don't think God's going to come through. So you don't say anything. And you miss what could be a huge blessing. You just want to stay in your own lane. You never want to step out in faith. For we fear that God just might not come through. But have you ever thought about this? What if he does? What if he does come through? You know, there I was, you know, uh, working in a house on Lido Island in this multi-million dollar house. The guy had bought a couple lots leveled the houses and put two brand new mansions up. And I was working in one and I could look across the two driveways and see the entrance of the other. And there's like these four or five drywallers working in there. And the Lord's like, hey, why don't you go talk to those guys? And I'm just like, no, I don't know what I'm going to say. It's like, go talk to them. And I just kept feeling this for like an hour. So I'm like, that's it. Boom. I drop the tools. I get up. I walk across the two driveways. I walk in. I go, hey, fellas, how's it going? They all stop. They're all looking at me, you know, and they're all kind of like men, kind of burly, you know. And I'm just kind of like, so, um, I'd like to tell you guys about Jesus, the creator of the universe. He came to this world. He died on the cross for your sins. You can have your life forgiven. You can know that you're going to heaven. And they're all just kind of like, and one guy starts busting up laughing, which caused all of them to start busting up laughing. So I'm just like standing there and they're all pointing at me and laughing at me. And I'm like, yeah, well, that didn't work out like I thought it was going to. (laughs) So I just turned around. I walked out and I went back across the two driveways and kept working in my house. So on the way home, I was thinking, like, Lord, why did you let me go talk to those guys? They didn't want anything to do with me anyway, you know? And and it's like, he just said to me, I wanted them to know. It doesn't matter if they laugh at me. It doesn't matter if they mock at me. I wanted them to know. 
There was an old lady that came to my door one time. She, I remember what she looked like. She was like a picture in my head. I was like 10 or 12 years old. And I, was, I remember opening the door and she was just sitting there and she had a Bible in her hand and she was telling me how much Jesus loved me. And, and my brother came up behind the door and he's like, yeah, we gave it the office, you know, and he's laughing, you know, and I'm all laughing, you know, trying to be cool with my brother. He was three years older than me and, you know, and I'm laughing and, you know, we're joking and he's mocking her and all this. And she just kept talking to me. And she just kept looking in my eyes and telling me how much Jesus loved me. And my brother's mocking. I'm kind of laughing. And finally, I'm like, I got to go, you know. Well, I shut the door. I high-five my brother. We're laughing and everything. Jesus freak, you know, all this stuff, you know. But, you know, on the inside, even though I was, like, mocking with my brother, I was thinking, like, does he really love me? Is it really a God? That ministered to me. Even though that lady would have never known, it was, she was ministering to me. It planted seeds in my life. Because God was like, I've got a plan for you, you little muskrat. You need a spanking right now. But, but it's like, but you know, God was planting seeds in my life. You know, so she was faithful to the call. Even though we were mocking her. And it's just like, God has a reason for us. And when he lays something on your heart, and you don't go up and talk to that person, it's like shame on you. Because number one, you're not believing that God's doing something. Listen, whether you think they, they're listening or not listening, it doesn't matter. God wants him to know that message. And if he's laid it on your heart, you open that mouth and you start talking. I remember this one time I was working down this basement in Virginia when we were living back in Virginia for eight and a half years. And, and it's like, so I'm in this basement. I didn't want to be there. It was like the last job of the day. It's just a bathroom. Had to lay this, you know, linoleum in this bathroom and it's in a basement. It's getting late. It was like 5.30 at night. I didn't want to be there. And I'm like, oh, I just got to do this one bathroom. So I'm down there and they're supposed to have the floor sanded. They don't have it sanded. I'm down there scraping and all this. I'm sucking dust and all this. And I remember sitting there on my knees just like this. And I remember I'm just sitting there laying the floor. Then all of a sudden this painter comes walking into the basement. Like, what the heck is he doing there? He didn't want to be there either. But he had to do a little bit of touch-up. And I'm just sitting there. I didn't even stand up. I just stayed on my knees. I said, hey, so has anyone ever told you about Jesus? And the guy's like, huh? And I said, anyone ever tell you? He goes, no, not really. And I shared the whole gospel with him. The guy bowed his head and gave his life to Christ. And I'm just like, wow, that's crazy. You know, I didn't want to be there. And that guy didn't want to be there. But God put us both where we didn't want to be, and he used it. And that guy gave his life to Christ. See, you never know. Have you ever thought that God might just come through when he lays something on your heart? What if he would use us to speak to our culture, to the people we work with, to those who live here in Los Angeles? Well, for those that do, they will see God work in their lives more than you could ever imagine. Which brings up our third and final point. Let's read what it says here. Finish our course is our point. And let's pick up here in verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and he called to him the elders of the church. So he wants all the elders and the leaders to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials and uh, and with which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly 
and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks to repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. See, I think it's safe to say that Paul had come to a place where it was no longer about him. It was no longer about what he wanted in life. It was no longer about his own personal will. It was no longer about any of his own personal desires. I remember how I used to find my worth in my success as I tried to climb the corporate ladder. But every time I hit another ladder, uh, another rung on the ladder or another level, it was simply followed by another rung on the ladder and another level. No matter where I got, I had to get somewhere else. No matter what I hit, I had to get somewhere else. It was, it was horrific. I hated it. Remember closing this big deal in construction uh, up in Baltimore, and I just I was like, "Okay, this is great. I'm so glad I just you know got this big old deal." And my boss is with me, and we're driving out of the long driveway. You know, I just closed this. I, I mean, I forget it was some like four hundred thousand dollar deal or something like that. I mean, it's almost a half a million dollar deal. Sold the guy a bunch of machines. It was awesome, you know. And it's like we're driving out, and he's like, "What else you got for today? What else do I have for today?" We're in Baltimore. It's like, it's four o'clock. By the time we get back, it's five o'clock. I go, how about this? I have nothing for today. I'm not going to do anything. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to get back to my desk and do nothing. I'm going to put my feet up on my desk and I'm going to relish this great deal that we just closed. It's like a half a million dollar deal. And he's like, oh, okay. Like kind of like, oh, that's all you got. You know, it's like, no matter what you do, you got to do a little bit more. And so when you try to find, you know, your happiness, your satisfaction in your job, it's like an empty vacuum that sucks the life out of you. And no matter what I was able to possess, it only lasted for a season. But Paul, after years of having this religious relationship with God, which was dead and stale, because remember, he became a Pharisee, the highest order of religious sect of the day. But it didn't satisfy him. It wasn't until he was confronted by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. That's when Paul realized that he didn't need religion. What he needed was a savior. And Paul, being a religious Pharisee, was so well-versed in the Torah. He was so well-versed in the law of God that he searched the scriptures. He was convinced. He knew that he knew that Jesus, beyond a shadow of a doubt, was the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Savior of all men. And when he gathered the leaders and the elders of the church together, he reminded them in verse 19, he says, I have served the Lord with tears and with trials. From the Jews trying to destroy me. But notice he never stopped declaring the truth of God's word. He taught the truth opening and publicly. He taught it. He taught it with, with great power, with great might. He did it with great openness. He never put it under a, uh, some kind of a cover. He never tried to hide it. He never put the brown bag over his head with two holes cut in. I'm the unknown Christian, you know, and I'm out here preaching to you. No, it's like he did it openly and he did it publicly. 
Yes, he reminded them of these things. And he put their, and when he put his faith in Jesus, that's what changed his life. Now, verse 22, he said that he was bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He was bound by the Spirit. That's an interesting term there. Because that word bound means in the original language that he was compelled to go by force. I'm compelled to go. It's like you had the Holy Spirit, uh, God behind him. Go. Get, I want you to go here. He was like, uh, I'm like okay, okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going already, okay? He was compelled to go. Know this. Paul understood that the religious Jews wanted him dead. And to go back to Jerusalem was like going back into the center of the hornet's nest. For if they crucified Jesus, and again, when I say the Jews crucified Jesus, it was a small handful of powerful religious leaders that had Jesus crucified. But he understood that if they could do that to him, what would they do? If they could do that to Jesus, what would they do to him? But Paul knew that his life was no longer his. It was no longer about him. And that's why he said what he did at the end of verse 24. In the King James, in the New King James, says this, well, at the beginning of verse 24, it says, none of these things move me. He says, none of these things move me. What things? How about everything in life? How about everything that could go wrong? All of its trials, all of its hardships, all of its ups, all of its downs. Paul says, I am not moved by these things. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 